Ezra chapter 1. In the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, in order to fulfill the word of the Lord spoken by Jeremiah, the Lord moved the heart of Cyrus, king of Persia, to make a proclamation throughout Israel and also to put it in writing. This is what Cyrus, king of Persia, says. The Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth and has appointed me to build a temple for him at Jerusalem in Judah. Any of his people among you may go up to Jerusalem in Judah and build the temple of the Lord, the God of Israel, the God who is in Jerusalem, and may their God be with them. And in any locality where survivors may now be living, the people are to provide them with silver and gold, with goods and livestock, and with free will offerings for the temple of God in Jerusalem. Then the family heads of Judah and Benjamin, and the priests and Levites, everyone whose heart God has moved, prepared to go up and build the house of the Lord in Jerusalem. All their, neighbor, all their neighbors assisted them with the articles of silver and gold, with goods and livestock, and with valuable gifts, in addition to all the free will offerings. Moreover, the King, King Cyprus brought out the articles belonging to the temple of the Lord, which Nebuchadnezzar had carried away from Jerusalem and had placed in the temple of his God. Cyrus, king of Persia, had them brought by Mithridat, the treasurer, and counted them out to Sheshbazar, the prince of Judah. This was the inventory. Gold dishes, 30. Silver dishes, 1,000. Silver pans, 29. Gold bowls, 30. Matching silver bowls, 410. Other articles, 1,000. In hall, there were 5,400 articles of gold and of silver. Sheshbaza brought all these along with the exiles when they came up from Babylon to Jerusalem. Great. Do keep, um, sorry, do keep Ezra 1 open uh, in front of you, uh, if you're able to. Do you mind just turning this down slightly, John? Just, uh, thanks. Um, so we're starting, um, as I've said, a new series on Ezra today. Um, not normally the first place in the Bible uh, that people turn to. Uh, probably not uh, the standard book for a pastor to choose as his first preaching series in a new church. Uh, however, still part of God's word. Uh, and a book that is just as relevant to us today as any other um, here is a book that documents the return of the first exiles to Jerusalem, um, showing the challenges that they face uh, as they attempt to rebuild the temple uh, and the city uh, within a pagan kingdom, and the difficulties they face as they attempt to live as a separate people within a hostile world. Now, we're not exiles returning to the Holy Land, um, but we are those trying to live as God's people within a pagan and hostile world. The truths that we see in the book of Ezra are truths that are just as relevant uh, for us today. This is not a book that has no relevance to us in 21st century Britain, uh, but a book that will help us to live as God's people uh, and a book that will, re will remind us of who our God is. But in order to understand it, it will help to have um, some context, um, some of the, the background, the history uh, to it. Um, as the book starts, Israel, God's people, are in exile. Um, that means that they're not living in their own land. 
but in a foreign uh, country. Um, They're in Babylon. Let me get this. Uh, There we go. There. um, Where are we? There's Babylon. Um, This is kind of Israel over here. Um, Babylon was a city in modern-day Iraq, so that is now Iraq. Babylon was just south of where Baghdad is today. Uh, It was the capital of the Babylonian Empire, the dominant world power at the time. Um, In 586 BC, King Nebuchadnezzar, uh, the king of Babylon, had invaded and demolished Jerusalem. God had warned his people that that would happen because of their rebellion against him. And sure enough, the invading forces came and Jerusalem was destroyed. Um, This was uh, their punishment. King Nebuchadnezzar took the most important Jews back with him to Babylon. Um, Over time, more were taken, but not quite all of them. Uh, Some were left in Jerusalem and the surrounding area. Uh, But those that were left were poor financially uh, and without many skills and so were unable to rebuild. Um, Jerusalem remained in ruins. Nebuchadnezzar died in 562 BC and his son became king. And it was under his son that the empire began to weaken. An empire that once seemed impenetrable now had cracks appearing. And this made room for a new world power, and that came in the form of the Medes and Persians. Um, Under the leadership of Cyrus, they slowly built their power and influence, um, taking over different parts of the world before eventually invading and capturing Babylon in 539 BC. And Babylon had fallen. The Babylonian Empire was no more. Uh, Now was the time of the Medes and Persians. There we go. History lesson over. Um, But it's at this point that the book of Ezra begins. Um, Have a look at verse 1. In the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia. And this does not mean his first year as king, but his first year as king of Babylon. He had already been the king of the Persians for 20 years But now he's also the king of Babylon and their entire empire. And that's a bit of background to our book. Uh, Let's now get into the text itself. Uh, Before we do, though, let me point out two key verses. In verse 1, we see God moving the heart of Cyrus, king of Persia. He said, in the first year of Cyrus, the king of Persia, in order to fulfill the word of the Lord spoken by Jeremiah, the Lord moved the heart of Cyrus, king of Persia. And then in verse 5, we see um, God moving the hearts of his people. And the family heads of Judah and Benjamin and the priests and Levites, everyone whose heart God had moved, prepared to go up and build the house of the Lord in Jerusalem. Um, God moves the heart of Cyrus, uh, God moves the hearts of his people. Um, This will form our structure this morning as we go through this chapter and hear God speaking to us. Firstly, we'll see that God moves the influential, and secondly, we'll see that God moves the individual. 
God moves the influential. Uh, God moves the individual. Um, so firstly, uh, God moves the influential. God moves the influential. Have a look again at verse 1. In the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, in order to fulfill the word of the Lord spoken by Jeremiah, the Lord moved the heart of Cyrus, king of Persia, to make a proclamation throughout his realm and also to put it in writing. And then it goes on to give the proclamation that he gives. God moves Cyrus, probably the most powerful king of the time, to carry out his plans. And we're told that he does this so that the word he spoke in Jeremiah might be fulfilled. And what is it talking about? Well, through the prophet Jeremiah, God had spoken to the elders of the exiles, and he said this. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your, give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there, but do not decrease. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Do not let the prophets and diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams you encourage them to have. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. And God said, don't try and fight against what is happening. Go with it. Settle down. Live your lives well. Be good citizens. But then he said, the next verse, this is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I have banished you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. Um, God said that after 70 years were completed for Babylon, um, he will bring his people back to Jerusalem. It was a wonderful promise. Things might look like they're all going wrong, God said, but it is all within my plans. I have not lost control, so go with it and then I will bring you back again. And this has often been interpreted as saying when they've been in exile for 70 years, they will return. But note, he actually said when 70 years are completed for Babylon. In other words, when Babylon have been the world power for 70 years and their world dominion comes to an end, 
then they will return. God was saying that when Babylon falls, Israel would return to Jerusalem. And that is exactly what happens in the first year after Cyrus captured Babylon. He issued this decree. God had told his people that once Babylon's 70-year reign had come to an end, they would return. And here we see that happening. And it happens through one of, if not the most powerful kings in the world. Um, Now, before we get too excited about this decree that he gives, um, it does seem to have been his policy. Um, Cyrus seems to have had a policy to allow displaced peoples to return back home to their lands and to rebuild the sanctuaries of their gods. Um, It is a good political move. And by doing so, you curry the favor of different nations uh, and thus have a variety of people groups in different places uh, on uh, your side. But it also seems that Cyrus was a polytheist. and That is, he believed in multiple gods, probably any and every god. And so it's quite likely that he was also trying to get as many different gods on his side as well. So we shouldn't make too much of his actions here. He is not confessing faith in God. However, having said that, What he says in his decree is still remarkable. Let me read it again. Verse 2. This is what Cyrus, king of Persia, says. The Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he has appointed me to build a temple for him at Jerusalem in Judah. Any of his people among you may go up to Jerusalem in Judah and build the temple of the Lord, the God of Israel, the God who is in Jerusalem. And may their God be with them. And in any locality where survivors may now be living, the people are to provide them with silver and gold, with goods and livestock, and with free will offerings for the temple of God in Jerusalem. And Cyrus recognizes that he is only in his position of authority and power because God has put him there. The Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, he said. It is such a humble statement for someone in his position to recognize that he is not there because of his greatness, but because it has been given to him. And the fact that he proclaims this publicly is extraordinary. He could have quietly let the Jews go but he makes a proclamation throughout his realm, we're told, um, to all people in his kingdom. Um, He is quite happy to humble himself uh, before God in front of his entire uh, kingdom. Just imagine if our leaders uh, realized this, that their positions of authority uh, come from God, that they can only exercise their authority under him. Wouldn't that be amazing? And the decree that Cyrus issues is that the Jewish exiles can return to Jerusalem in order to rebuild um, the temple. He says that he has been charged to build a temple for God in Jerusalem. And so because of that, the Jews can return to build the temple. 
But also, not only that, they're to be given provisions. Um, All other Jews who aren't returning are instructed to provide them with silver and gold, with goods and livestock, and with free will offerings uh, for the temple. Um, It is a wonderful decree that's made, uh, and a decree that comes uh, from such a powerful uh, pagan king. But what does this mean for us? What do we uh, take from this? Well, I think two things, peace and prayer. This brings peace uh, and it should cause um, prayer. Um, Firstly, we have a wonderful and quiet but assured peace. We can rest knowing that our God is sovereign. That he is in control. That there is no power that is outside of his control. In our unstable world of war, it is not any world power that is in control. God is. And his purposes cannot be thwarted. God had said that after 70 years of Babylon, his people would return to Jerusalem. And so that was what would happen. Nobody could prevent that from happening. Uh, And God would use uh, whoever he needed in order to make that happen. That gives us confidence, doesn't it? That even when it looks like everything is going wrong, we know that it is not for God. We may not understand it, but we can have peace in it. Imagine being a Judean slave in Babylon. They would have wondered how they could ever get back to Jerusalem. It may have seemed impossible, but it wasn't impossible to God. And come forwards to the New Testament, uh, and Ephesians 1 says that God raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Jesus Christ has been seated far above every rule and authority, power and dominion and every name that is invoked. All things are under his feet. And he has been appointed head over everything for the church. And Jesus is head not just of the church, but also of everything for the church. For all who are his, we have nothing to fear. Jesus will exercise his authority for the church. Think of a man getting unfairly fired by a senior manager in his company and sitting there gently smiling. Why are you smiling? I've just fired you. You've lost everything. Oh, no, I haven't, he replies. You have, because your boss 
is my dad. And when he hears about this, it is you who will be fired. Now we submit to our authorities. But when all things look to be going wrong, we can have a real peace. Because we know the real boss. And if we are his, then he is on our side. We have peace because God moves the influential. We have peace, but we also pray. We may often feel powerless as we look at the world, but we're not. As we thought about last week, we have the direct phone number to the king of the universe. So use it. Pray to him. Pray for this world. Pray for justice. Pray that wrongs would be righted. Pray that wars would cease. Pray that God's people would return to him. Pray. Because God moves the influential. And so pray that he would. Pray that those carrying out injustices would be moved, that their hearts would be changed. God can do that. Pray that our leaders would recognize where their authority comes from. He did it to Cyrus. He can do it now. This week I asked Ross, one of the members here, who's in different positions, how we can be praying for those in positions of influence. And this is um, what he said. I think all politicians need to remember that we should be in post to improve things for those least able to help themselves, whether in this country or further afield. This is important to remember in the lead-up to a general election, where all political parties attempted to do what they receive as popular rather than right and good. Uh, locally, politicians have lost some control over I'm sorry, have some control over conditions for those in social housing, in the care of social services and children. We should discharge those duties to the best of our abilities and not for political point scoring. Uh, personally, I think my greatest influence is with those who come to me for specific help. Please pray for wisdom to know what to do and for diligence to get on with it speedily. Quite often people go to a counsellor when they're at the end of their tether because they feel let down by lots of other organisations and people. Ross. God moves the influential so we can be praying for them, that he would move them in the right ways. And we can pray as well for those Christians that are in positions of influence, and pray that God would use them in their positions for good and to carry out his purposes. And pray for Ross as mayor and councillor. Pray for Christian MPs. And pray for Christian teachers, for those in public office. We need to pray for those in positions of influence because God moves the influential. So have peace knowing this. And pray. God moves the influential. Secondly, God moves the individual. God moves um, the individual. Because then, just as he moved the heart of Cyrus, he also moves the hearts of individuals to act. Have a look at verse 5. 
Uh, Then the family heads of Judah and Benjamin and the priests and Levites, everyone whose heart God had moved, prepared to go up and build the house of the Lord in Jerusalem. All their neighbours assisted them with articles of silver and gold, with goods and livestock and with valuable gifts, in addition to all the freewill offerings. Um, God moves the hearts of individuals and everyone whose heart God moved uh, prepared to go. Um, He prompted certain people to want to respond to Cyrus's decree, to say, yes, I will go. This is the moment we've been waiting for. And there wasn't anyone who God prompted who didn't go. You see, if God moves your heart, then you will respond to that. You will act on that. But that wasn't all. Because then everyone around them, those who didn't go, aided them. Press that. There we go. Um, All their neighbours, and it seems that this probably includes their Jewish neighbours who didn't want to return, but also their Gentile neighbours as well, um, gave them articles of silver and gold with goods and livestock and with valuable gifts, in addition to all the free will offerings. Uh, They too respond to Cyrus's proclamation. Uh, And then we're told um, that, moreover, uh, this is verse 7, Moreover, King Cyrus brought out the articles belonging to the temple of the Lord, which Nebuchadnezzar had carried away from Jerusalem and had placed in the temple of his God. Cyrus, king of Persia, had them brought by Mithridath, the treasurer, who counted them out to Sheshbazar, the prince of Judah. This was the inventory. Gold dishes, 30. Silver dishes, 1,000. Silver pans, 29. Gold bowls, 30. Matching silver bowls, 410. And other articles, 1,000. In all, there were 5,400 articles of gold and of silver. Sheshbazar brought all these along with the exiles when they came up from Babylon to Jerusalem. Um, King Cyrus brings out the articles that had been taken from the temple in Jerusalem uh, when it had been invaded, and he returns them. Uh, What a wonderful uh, gesture that is, uh, a gesture that is rarely seen uh, today. Now, the mathematically minded uh, among you will have noticed that the numbers here don't um, add up, not even close. (laughs) This isn't getting past any kind of audit. Um, That's okay, (laughs) Um, Many of the figures seem like they've been rounded. Um, They're mostly rounded, uh, apart from one, weirdly, 29. Um, uh, Especially the the other articles and the silver dishes. um, A a thousand, that's a very round number, isn't it? This could have meant over a thousand or even thousands. Um, Clearly, for the writer, the precise figures are not important. So we don't need to worry about that. The point is still clear that this is a remarkable turnaround as we see God moving hearts to respond. It's not entirely clear who Sheshbazar is. Uh, We're told um, he's the prince of Judah, but the word translated prince just means someone raised to a position of authority. So this doesn't mean he's of the royal line. Uh, He was clearly in some position of authority, and then he pretty much disappears in Ezra. Um, He's mentioned again in chapter 5 when it's looking back to this moment of time. uh, And there he's described as a governor 
who was appointed by Cyrus. Uh, Chapter 2 will tell us about someone called Zerubbabel, who seems to be in a similar position, um, leading the exiles back to Jerusalem, which leads some to say that they're the same person, um, but that seems unlikely. Um, uh, And so we can say that Sheshbazar was in some position of authority, Um, As the exiles returned to Jerusalem, uh, he was given the responsibility of looking after uh, the articles that were being taken for the temple, Uh, but we don't know loads about him. Uh, On which note, it's worth saying now, if you're waiting for Ezra to show up, uh, then you'll be waiting for a while, and he doesn't turn up until chapter 7. We'll be looking at that at the end of February. That's roughly what we have happening in the second half of this chapter. But why is that relevant to us? What do we take from it? Well, I think this. That when God moves our hearts, we need to act in line with his will. When God moves our hearts, we need to act in line with his will because he doesn't just move the hearts of the influential but he also moves the hearts of the individual as well. What does that mean? Um, How does God move our hearts? It all sounds a bit uh, mystical. It's worth saying that it's different now from what it was then. Uh, We're in the Old Testament here. Uh, They didn't have God's complete word. Um, They had bits that God had spoken through prophets. Um, They had the law that had been written down but they didn't have God's complete inspired word written down for them. And so God used prophets to speak to them. Now we have the Bible. The Bible is complete. Nothing is to be added to it, and nothing is to be taken away from it. It is God's inspired word. Um, It was written by people, but inspired by God. Um, He wrote it, uh, we can trust it, and we don't need anything else. Uh, And so that is the main way that God speaks to us today. Um, It's the main way that he prompts us um, through his word being read, uh, preached, um, taught, explained, uh, shared. Um, Even uh, by someone writing a verse in a card to a friend, which was just the verse that they needed at that time. And it speaks to them in a clear way uh, and reveals to them what God wants them to do. Um, Sometimes God's word gives very clear and specific ways to act. There's no doubt this is what God wants. Um, Other times it gives principles. Um, It doesn't tell us what we should do in a situation. It doesn't say which job to take or who to marry but it gives principles um, that guide us. And sometimes from those principles, uh, we just get a sense of what we should do. We get a feeling we could say, I feel that this is right. Our heart beats in a way that that tells us this is what God wants me um, to do. Um, How do we know if that is God moving us to act? Well, we apply it back to the Bible. Um, Does that go against God's word, or is it in line with it? Um, Joshua and I have been reading a book called Treasures of the Snow by Patricia St. John. Some of you might know it. Um, It's a book about some children in Switzerland. Uh, In it, there's a girl called Annette. Uh, Her brother had been hurt by a boy called Lucian, and she refused to forgive him. 
because she didn't want him to be happy and she wanted him to suffer as he had made her brother uh, suffer. And yet she could not continue with her life. Um, It was making her unhappy. At Christmas, the minister of her church had encouraged them to let Jesus into their hearts. She wanted to, but then she realised that if she did that, uh, she would also have to forgive Lucian. It says this, As she caught sight of Lucian, she realised that she couldn't ask the Saviour to come into her heart because her heart was so full of hatred for Lucian. And of course, a saviour would not want to come into an angry, unforgiving heart. Either she would have to forgive and be kind, or else the Lord Jesus would have to stay outside. And she didn't want to forgive and be kind. Not yet. See, she knew what she needed to do. Um, God was moving her heart to act, um, to forgive Lucian. But she refused Um, However, as the book goes on, she just couldn't shake that off. She tried to ignore it, but the feeling that she needed to forgive kept on coming back um, to her. Sometimes we just know what God wants us to do. We can feel it in our hearts. The question is, do we obey it or do we suppress it, push it out? When God moves our hearts... We must act in line with his will. That might be a big life decision, what job to take, where to move to, whether to get married. Maybe even it might be whether to become a Christian. Maybe there are some here who feel that they should put their trust in Jesus, but are putting it off, trying to suppress it, resisting it. Don't resist that. Follow what God says. Or it might be small, everyday things. It might be that after the service, um, God prompts you to go and speak to someone who you see on their own. Uh, We know that will be the loving thing to do, but we're afraid. Uh, What if they don't want to speak to me? Uh, What if I embarrass myself? There are all sorts of ways that God prompts us. But he does prompt us. He does move our hearts. And so we need to follow him to act in line with his will. Now we could get into the debate on God's sovereignty versus our responsibility. Um, If God is in control, uh, how are we responsible? But unfortunately time's getting on uh, from us. Um, Phil said if you have any questions about anything that's set up here, you can ask him. So... uh, (laughs) Ask Phil afterwards. Um, It is a huge discussion that could be had. Uh, Let's say this. We can hold these two truths together. Um, God is sovereign. He is in control. He moves hearts. And if he genuinely moves someone's heart, then they will act. So we should pray that he would move our hearts and the hearts of others to carry out his will. However, we can also say that we are responsible. When God prompts us, we have a responsibility to listen to that and to act in line with his purposes. Don't think that, well, if God is sovereign, so I don't need to act. If he wants me to, then he'll make me. You have responsibility, and so take that 
and act in line with his will. When he moves your heart, we must act accordingly. There is forgiveness available for the times when we fail. Don't worry about times that you fail to do that. But let's seek his help to respond to his promptings and to act as he leads us. God is the God of the whole world. He can and he does move all people in order to achieve his plans. He moves the influential and he moves the individual. And so rest knowing that we serve the God of the whole world. And make sure that when he moves our hearts, we act in line uh, with his will.